0: okay let's pray together and we want to dig into God's word thank you father for the love here and for this family and for the the home groups and the support that's there and the comfort that's given and all the ways you're working and many many behind the scenes way I, I love this body thank you so much Lord and Lord I pray we all come together now and we're We're hungry. Our souls are hungry. We want your word. We want the word of God. Feed our souls with the living bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So we live on your words, which come forth from your mouth. So Lord, we're hungry for your word this morning. And I pray, we pray together, Lord, that you would feed us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here at Mercy Hill, uh, we put a lot of emphasis on God's promises. If you stuck around here for a little while, you've heard that. We like to talk about learning God's promises and understanding His promises, knowing what they really mean, and, and trusting God's promises, obviously, and praying over God's promises. So promises are really important to us. And in our home group, uh, the one Jan and I lead over the last couple of weeks, some really helpful questions have come up about Promises. The question about why do we put so much emphasis on God's promises? I mean, why? Is that really in the Bible? And another important question, how is it right for New Testament Christians to apply to us Old Testament promises? Is that right? Should we do that? And then another question, isn't there a danger in having people misunderstand what God's promises mean because then they could be disappointed thinking God didn't do what he never promised to do in the first place? really helpful questions that we've been wrestling with in our home group. And the reason I mention that is because those questions are addressed in our passage for this morning, the next two verses in Hebrews chapter 13. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. And we want everyone to have a Bible you can look on with, so raise your hand if you don't have one. Uh, We would love you to be able to read the scriptures We like to say these are the most important words you're going to be hearing today are the words that are in the Bible, not my words. I want to introduce you to these words and have you see these words and understand these words. This is the word of God. This is what will feed our souls. Not my words, but these words. And so in the Bibles we just passed out, it's page 1009. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, page 1009 in the Bibles we're passing out. So look at what he says in verses 5 through 6. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Can okay, now the main command is right there at the beginning of verse 5. Did you see that? Keep your life free from love of money. But what does that mean? What does it mean to love money? How could we tell if we were loving money? The way he's telling us we shouldn't. How could we tell? And when you read verses 5 through 6, we can see that there's two parts he mentions, two aspects of loving money. The first is we're loving money whenever we are not content with what we have. Okay, verse 5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So one way we could tell we're loving money is because we're not content with what we have. Second way we can tell is if we fear what we, that we won't have enough. If we fear that we won't have enough in the future, then we're also loving money. Read verse 6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper; I will not fear. So that's the second part of loving money: is fearing that we won't have enough. So loving money means not being content with what we have and fearing that we we won't have enough. And so, now I would guess all of us struggle with one or both of those. Is there anybody here who I won't even ask? We all struggle with those. Okay, I know I do, and I know you do. So we need we need help. It's like ah, okay, well you got us. That's us. I'm, there I am, right there. And in this passage, the author gives us two weapons, two weapons which, if we will use them, can conquer discontentment when it rises up, so it's destroyed, and can conquer fear of not having enough when that rises up. Two weapons in these verses to help us. And you know what those two weapons are? Promises. Old Testament promises. Promises. First, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you from Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6, Old Testament. And in verse 6, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? That's from the Greek version of the Old Testament, Psalm 118 verse 6. So he gives us two promises and here's how this works. When we understand these promises and fight the fight of faith to trust these promises and pray over these promises... God will bring the power of the Holy Spirit through the word and change our hearts so we are not discontent anymore and we're not afraid of the future financially anymore. That's how he works through the word of God and his promises. So let's dig in now and get to work on this. Let's start with contentment, this issue of being content. How can I tell when I'm not content with what I have? How can you tell? You might think it's obvious, but hear me out here. Here's an example. Our 22-year-old refrigerator has broken. Okay, a couple weeks ago, it has, ready to retire. It's retired, okay? So, So I want a new refrigerator. I desire a new refrigerator, okay? Does that mean I'm not being content with what I have? It could be. It could be if the reason I want that new refrigerator is because I'm just not feeling very content in my life. And I'm thinking, a refrigerator will complete me. <laughs> right? If I could have a nice new refrigerator in the kitchen, oh, that would just fill me. We, our neighbors would come over, and they'd say, oh, you got a new refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we got one. And I would just bask in their adulation and their respect, you know, Okay? So if I'm not feeling content in my heart and I'm thinking a new refrigerator is going to satisfy me and fill me up, then I'm not being content. Okay? Then I'm not being content with what I have. That would show that I'm disobeying what this command says. Are we all clear on that? Okay? But if the reason I want a new refrigerator is because it will help us fulfill God's call in our lives to advance His kingdom, I'm content in Him. I love him, he's filling and satisfying my heart, it's not going to complete me, but we need food to eat so we can advance the gospel, okay, we want to have neighbors over and not give them rotten food, and most important, our home group loves ice cream, okay, so these are are all important issues here in terms of advancing the gospel and, and, and bringing people to faith and strengthening people. So do you see the difference? If I want a refrigerator or a new car or more savings, okay, or a faster computer, If we want those things because we think that's what's going to make me happy, if I can't be happy without those things, if I think that's what's going to fulfill me, then I'm not content with what I have. This is so important to understand the difference. So ask yourself are you content with what you have? Are you content with what you have? Or are you thinking your heart won't be satisfied until you get a bigger salary or a newer car? or that purse from Macy's, or those Callaway golf clubs, you know, okay? Now, if we're honest, I think we will all admit, I mean, we live in a very materialistic society. Commercials are blaring at us all day long. This is what you need to be happy. We're We're inundated with us. I'm sure all of us struggle with this, okay? So we need help. But that's how we can tell if we are not content with what we have. It's because we're thinking there's some money, amount of money, or some material possession that I need to have my heart fulfilled. So, how do we then go about being content with what we have? What do we do? And the author tells us how. Look at verse 5 again. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for... He has said, and here's the promise from Deuteronomy 31:6, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, the way we fight discontentment is by trusting this promise from God's Word. This is an amazing promise. Just think of what, what this means. We've all sinned against God. God's our Creator, He's glorious, He's perfectly loving, wise, sovereign over everything god and we'd all sinned against him and because god's just we all face his punishment so we can't have god in our lives because we're sinful and not only can we not have god we're facing his judgment forever so we are in trouble but you know the gospel he sent his own son to earth jesus christ who died to pay for our sins all the wrong i've done to pay for it past present future So the moment I turn from other things I've been trusting and I put my trust in Jesus Christ, at that moment, from that point on, God promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My presence is with you. I'm here, never leaving you, never forsaking you. From the moment you put your trust in Christ forever, God's with us. Now, how does that help our lack of contentment. Okay? How does that help? There's a lot of passages we could look at to answer that, but I want you to turn to this one. John 4, 13 through 14. This is page 889 in the Bibles we passed out. How how does God's presence enable us to be content? How does that work? And one powerful passage that illustrates that is John 4. What is it about God's presence... That will enable us to be content no matter how little we have. What is it? John four thirteen through fourteen. Jesus is talking to a woman at a at a well of water. That's the setting. Verse 13 Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That is, whenever we come to him and drink, we will not come away thirsty. Whenever we turn to him, we will not come away thirsty. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Here's what's going on. We all have thirsty hearts. We have hearts that thirst for joy and for pleasure and for beauty and for meaning. And for happiness, we have hearts that are thirsty, thirsty hearts. And there's only one way that our thirsty hearts can be satisfied. And that's with the living water of God's presence poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way our heart thirsts can be satisfied. It's with God pouring his presence into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So see, Macy's purses will not satisfy your heart. Not even Callahan clubs, okay, will satisfy, Callaway golf clubs will satisfy your heart. No amount of money, no, no possessions, none of those things will satisfy your heart. And you've seen this, haven't you? You thought that what you have now would have satisfied you, right? I mean, this, the, if you're in a tough place, you may not feel that right now, but we've all thought if I just had that, I'd be there, and you got that, and you weren't there for very long, right? It's just true. I mean, anything gets old after a while, except for God. God will satisfy your heart completely. And that's how we can always be content. It's because whenever we will turn to God, first of all, he promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's always there because of Jesus' death and the cross for us. And so when discontentment rises up in my heart, I'm thinking, I've got to have that, or I've got to have that. If I will turn my heart away from that other thing and look to him and say help me I'm not seeing you now I'm not feeling the the wonder of your presence I'm not experiencing the living water right now would you pour that out upon me afresh I put my trust in you satisfy me in yourself and we, we seek him in the word of God in the truth of the word he will so satisfy us through the truth of who he is that we will be in our true heart of hearts content filled Not just, I ought to be filled. No, no, no. You'll be filled. You will be filled. Why did I think I needed that to be satisfied? Jesus Christ, you are glorious. That's how it works. That's how we can always be content. Okay, so what can you do then? Let's just boil this down. What can you do if you're really not content with what you have? If you're not content with what you have, what can you do? Understand what's going on. You're believing a lie. That will not satisfy you. You're believing that lie. And you're not believing the truth that God will never leave you or forsake you. God, in his all-satisfying presence, is always there for you so you could always turn your heart back to him, seek him, and meet him. So uh, turn from the lie, trust the promise, and seek him. Put on some worship music, open up the scriptures and read... Ask a brother or sister from your home group to come over and pray for you. Seek the Lord, and he will be what? Found. Found. And you'll be satisfied. You'll be met. That's what conquers discontentment about money or things. So are you content with what you have? You can be fully content with what you have or what you don't have, no matter what the circumstances are, you can be fully content because God will never leave you or forsake you. You can turn to him at any time when your heart is hungry, empty, thirsty, and you can seek him and meet him and he will fill you. So that's contentment. Okay, now, the second part of loving money is fear, being afraid that we won't have enough. And how do we overcome that fear? This is real, isn't it? And this is this can be, you can wake up at four in the morning with your heart pounding, thinking, what if we lose our house? What if I lose my job? What if we run out of money in our retirement or next couple of years, right? And your heart can just be pounding, like, what are we going to do? It's real. This is real. Bible's a real book. God's a real God. His promises are real promises. And he says, you do not Ever need to fear for your financial future. And it's be so easy for some of you to hear this and just say another just kind of shallow, glib cliche. Let's dig deeper. Why do we not need to fear? Look what the author says in verse six. Here's why. So we can confidently say The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And this is from Psalm 118, verse 6, in the Greek version of the Old Testament. And here in this verse, God promises he'll be our helper. He will be your financial helper. That's why you don't ever need to fear the future for your finances, because God promises, I will help you financially. I will help you financially. But now this is a great example of why we've got to dig deep into what do these promises mean? What does that really mean? It's so important that we think and that we ponder and that we look at the scriptures and and, and not have the wrong idea. What does it mean? And there's two possible misunderstandings of this promise. We might think that since God will help me, I don't need to do anything, right? Sleep in, watch TV, the money's just going to roll in. Right, you might, you could think that. Well, he's my helper. Okay, where is it? It's not what the Bible teaches. If you read more of the Bible, here's how it works. Jesus says, "Seek first my kingdom, and my righteousness, and everything you need financially will be added to you." So the first step is, God, how have you called me to advance your kingdom? How have you called me to seek your kingdom? Are you calling me to lead people to Christ in my workplace, in our neighborhood? Are you calling us to go to Central Asia and uh, lead unreached Muslims to the faith? You're calling me to be a home group leader? How are you calling me to advance your kingdom? You get the call from God. And then, the Bible teaches you find a job, okay, to support yourself while you're pursuing God's call. Okay, so you, you you he'll provide that. You work, your you finances start coming in. So you're you're spending carefully. You're you're doing saving. You're giving generously. But so you're you got God's call and you're working. He promises as you do that, as you you're doing that and being faithful to what I've called you to do. Seek first my kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Then God will provide everything you need. So it's not that we do nothing. Okay, we've got to do he will not work he will let him not eat the bible says so it's not that we do nothing that would be a terrible misunderstanding okay so real clear on that one don't quit your job all right got it now there's another misunderstanding though that i think is is much more uh, much less easy to see and is much more widespread as a misunderstanding and it's the thought that if god promises to help us financially that means he's promised to provide a certain standard of living for us. This is very, very common. We can read verse 6. The Lord is my helper. And we can think, that always means I'm going to have my house. Right? Or I'll have my car. Right? Or I'll have money in the bank. Right? No. No. That's not what it means. This might shock you and just put your thinking caps on, like my dad used to say to us kids. But look at what we read in Hebrews chapter 11. I want to show you this. We've got to think, what do these promises mean? What do they mean? If you think it means you're always going to have your house and you lose your house, has God failed you? No. That's not what he promised. Hebrews 11, in this chapter we read about men and women who had God as their financial helper. God was their God. I will help you. I will help you financially. And what did that mean for them? Halfway through verse 37. Start halfway through. Hebrews 11, verse 37, halfway through. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Was God their helper? Financially? Absolutely. Absolutely. What does God mean when he promises to be our helper if he's helping these people right now in this situation? What does that mean? Is this like broadening your thinking or deepening this is quite quite sobering for me to really ponder this week what does God mean when he promises to be your financial helper he's promising the best news in the world he's promising that as you seek to fulfill his call in your life and and work in whatever way you can that he will structure your finances. To bring you the greatest joy in him. That's what he promises. He will structure your finances. He will. He will totally structure your finances. He's all over it. And he'll structure them in a way to bring you the greatest joy in him. That's what he promises to do. So if that means living in the suburbs, it's because that's how you're going to have the greatest joy in him. If it means living in a dingy high-rise in Central Asia, it's because that's where you're going to have the most joy, in him. If it means a den in the ground, then that's where you're going to have the most joy, in him. And he is structuring your finances, suburban, high-rise in Central Asia, den in the ground, With great love, that's how you're going to have the most joy in him. That's how you're going to behold his glory the most clearly. That's how you're going to display his glory the most clearly. That's how you're going to be fully most rejoicing in him. That's what his purpose is in structuring your finances. Now, this is probably shocking to some of you because we tend to assume that when God promises about finances, he's obviously promising a middle-class standard of living or better, right? Right? we got to read the Bible, church. got to read the Bible. Read the Bible. Hebrews 11, 37 to 38. We've also got to read Romans 8, verse 35. Let's turn there. Another scripture. I want to give you two scriptures, because I know this might be a new thought for some of you. I want to drive it home as best I can. Romans 8, 35. See, if you think God's promised you a middle-class standard of living or better, and then he doesn't, it would be terrible to think, Either God's failed you or he doesn't like you. Or you've been bad or something, right? So we've got to think this through. Romans 8.35. Here Paul lists a number of things that do not show that we're separated from God's love. Okay, These do not show that we're separated from God's love. They will not separate us. Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or... Persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Famine, starving without food, won't separate you from God's love. Nakedness, being so poor we don't have clothes won't show that we've been separated from God's love. Why not? Well, it's because His love could call you to famine. His love could call you to nakedness. And the only reason He would do that... It's because He loves you so much. That's the setting in which you're going to have the sweetest joys in Him. That's the calling through which you'll be able to most display that He is your treasure. That's the situation in which your heart will be the most filled with Him. It's because He loves you that He would call you to that. Okay, now, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 13. Turn back there, page 1009. You might be thinking... This part of the sermon was supposed to free me from fear, and uh, it's not working. Okay, I understand. Uh, You might be starting to fear now because you really had the wrong idea of what God promises. So let's read verse 6 again. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Okay, so now I hope you understand a little bit more about what that promise means. The Lord's help might include calling you to famine. The Lord's help might include calling you to nakedness. The Lord's help might include calling you to live in dens or caves. So why would we not fear then if that's what God's help might do? It's because, as I've said, God promises to Structure your finances, your standard of living, your, your living situation in such a way that you'll have the greatest joy in Him. Now let me give you an illustration, see if this helps. Okay, change gears. Let's say, it's totally foolish, but let's just say that your your greatest joy was scuba diving. Scuba diving. Any scuba divers here? Okay, a couple, all right. And let's say that every time you went scuba diving, I mean, the, the rush and the joy and the excitement. I mean, you were just thrilled and you didn't care about anything else when you scuba diving because this is awesome! Okay? It's not that way, right? Is it that way? Anyway, we know it's pretty good. <laughs> no more confidence there. Okay, so let's just say that, that your passion was scuba diving. And let's say someone said to you, listen, I'm in total control of your financial future and I will orchestrate everything, everything that happens to bring you the greatest scuba diving. Okay? Now what would that mean if they, if they said that? I'm going to structure everything so that you'll have the greatest scuba diving experiences. If if your passion was scuba diving, and if everything is going to contribute to scuba diving, you'd be without fear about your future. No fear. If it means moving to Guatemala, better scuba diving. Buy the tickets. If it means living in a tent... (laughs) <laughs> better scuba diving that means. If it means rice and beans, it's got to mean better scuba diving, then it's it's all going to what you believe is going to most satisfy your heart. So bring it is what you would say. You're free from fear because that's what you want. That's your passion. That's your all- satisfying treasure. See how that applies to us? See how this would work? Our greatest joy is not scuba diving. Our greatest joy is knowing Jesus Christ. Beholding Him, worshiping Him, displaying His glory. He's our prize. He's our treasure. And God promises that as we work and seek to fulfill His call in our lives, He will structure our finances so we have the greatest joy in, in Him. Because He is our greatest joy, that means we can be free from fear. No matter what it might mean, it could mean food, it could mean famine. It could mean a home and a roof. It could mean a den or a or a cave. It might mean life or it might mean death. Right? Hebrews 11. And so we're free from fear because we see through all of those issues and we land on you're my prize, you're my treasure. What I want is you, and so I trust you. You will help me have the lifestyle that will bring me the most joy in you. That's what I want. And so I'm I don't need to be afraid. Don't need to fear. Now what questions does that raise? There's no formula, right? And Jesus loves to have us wrestle with these kinds of questions in our hearts. He loves to have us bring these questions before Him and say, "What do you want me to do?" I mean, I could—I've got the money. I'm not going into debt to buy this purse, or I could—I could give this—give this money away, right? Sell what you have and care for the poor. Jesus says in Luke 14, and you'll have money, treasures in heaven, right? right so I could give it away, or I could buy the purse. And uh, you, all you ladies have purses, and all you guys have. Wallets, you know, whatever. Um, and so there's, it's a, it's a matter of the heart, and it's so important that we be asking the question. It's so important that we be asking the question. And God will give you wisdom, and it'll be a wrestle, and it'll be a maturing. Your roots will go deeper into him, and you'll grow in him. So um, I think that's the answer. I think there's the, the danger of idolatry, the danger of thinking that's what's going to make me happy, to, to weigh that and to ponder that. So, does that do anything for you? Yes, but I'd like to, the latter one, I'd like to, it's not just doing His will, but it's knowing Him, right? It's, it's actually be experiencing the Holy Spirit. Enabling me to see Jesus in the truth of His Word with, with His power so that my heart's satisfied with who Jesus is as I'm seeing Him in the truth. It's not just I'm doing God's will so I should be happy, but I'm meeting Jesus in the Word of God. Is it says Psalm 73 where the psalmist struggles with that. Um, one, of the, one of the psalms describes the psalmist as struggling with seeing the prosperity of the wicked and how he wrestles with Because it. Is somebody it. Is it Psalm 73? Or what Psalm is it? Pardon? 37. Psalm 37. So Psalm 37 raises that question. And the Bible is very clear that God will allow prosperity to come to the wicked as a way of showing them who he is by his kindness. Because he wants them to to let the kindness of God lead them to repentance. And so God will bring prosperity to those who aren't aren't following Christ in order to wake them up with how good God is so that they will repent and trust Christ. That's his intention in it. So much wisdom there, okay? Get filled up before you go shopping and have others help you understand what the promises mean when you don't think God's meeting the promises. So, okay, let me wrap up with uh, one last thought. Um, The way we fight love of money is with God's promises, but let me illustrate what that does not mean, okay? So here here's a you're thirsty and here's the shop window and here's a water bottle in the shop window okay and, and i'm thirsty right now and so and and I'm, I'm thirsty and i'm looking at the water saying i need that that purse those golf clubs that faster computer that you know craftsman rotary saw whatever it might be okay i've got to that to be happy and so okay I'm, I'm not being content right now so so i'm not supposed to i'm not supposed to be discontent i'm supposed to be content so how do we use the promise? Okay, the promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Too often we use that promise as just kind of a prod. This is, God's with you. You're supposed to be content. Okay, I, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to be content. I'm supposed to not want that. So, all right, I'll, I'll try to be, okay, just don't think about it. Forget the water bottle. Forget the Callaway Clubs. Okay, whatever it might be. We let promises, we think promises just prod us to, to, to try to obey. That's not what promises do. Here's what promises do. You're thirsty, you're looking at that computer, whatever, and the promise is, I will never leave you or forsake you. So the promises don't just prod us to do something. The promises point us to God. And over here is this fountain of living water. Bubbling, crisp, clear, beautiful water. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm so thirsty. I've got to have this. And I'm blind to the water over here. And what the promise does is it says, God will never leave you or forsake you. He is here as a fountain of living water to satisfy your thirsts right now. And so you let the promise point you back to God and you let the promise move you towards God so you, you bend down and you drink. That's what, that's what promises do. Do you see the difference? We could let a promise... okay. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay. I'm supposed to be content because I've got God. Okay, I'm just not really feeling that, but all right, I'll try. That's not what promises do. Promises point you to God, a fountain of living water, Jeremiah 2, 12 and 13. So you take the promise, you pray the promise, you have other brothers come and help you understand the promise. You seek God in the promise, and when you do that, the Holy Spirit will come and make Jesus Christ so real in the truth of his word that that you are content. You are content. You are free from fear. You are. It's reality. The effort comes in turning and seeking. And when you do, he will bring about a supernatural heart change. So church, use God's promises to fight love of money. Use God's promises to be content with what we have. Use God's promises to not fear that you won't have enough, but use God's promises in the way they were intended to point you to God's glory revealed in Jesus Christ in the Word. And so you seek Him and you meet Him and you're satisfied in Him. Okay, let's stand. I want us to to pray about this. Let's have the Coyote Creek Home Group coming up. You'll be praying for people this morning. And Lord, I pray we, we all... Struggle with being content with what we have. We all struggle with fearing that we won't have enough in the future. None of us are immune to that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. And Lord, I pray that this week we would each have time when we open up your word and pray over your promises and let your promises point us away from what we were trusting and point us to you, fountain of living water, the glory of Jesus Christ in the word of God so that we would meet you in the truth of your word and be filled by you truly and be content experientially and be free from fear feelingly because we see who you are and who you promised to be to us. Oh Lord, some of us are so fearful about our financial future. What a beautiful mercy it would be if they could be freed from that. Set free from fear. Please, Lord, do that. Some of us are so discontent with our financial state. Oh, Lord, meet them this week, I pray. Do a powerful work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.